chapter 19 and verse 30 brings us to the sixth saying of the Lord. We are closing up a sermon series as we have studied the seven things spoken from the cross by the Savior. If you will, I would ask you one last time to stand in the honor of the reading of the Word of God this morning. And I will allow you to be seated the remainder of the service. John chapter 19 and verse 30, just one verse this morning. The Word of God says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. And bowing His head, He gave up His spirit. It is finished. Let us pray. Father, this morning we love You. And Lord, we are uh, honored and privileged and thankful. God, for several reasons. First of all, the opportunity to come together and simply worship You. God, we're thankful this morning that You loved us when we were not worth loving. We're thankful this morning that God, when there was no way within and of ourselves, God, to get out of the the pit that we were in, You devised a plan and You made a way. We're thankful, Lord, that You are greater than everything that would ever come against us and that Your your love and Your mercy and Your grace is sufficient for us, Lord. This morning, we're thankful for that. And God, after all that You have done, Lord, yet still this morning, we pray that You have Your way. I ask God now before these people, Lord, that You would anoint me to preach in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, that You would guide my thoughts, my lips, my mind, and my heart this morning. Lord, we ask that You would open up our eyes to hear this morning, to see, and our ears to hear, and our hearts to understand, God, that, that You would reveal Yourself to us. God, that You would show us Your glory. Father, we pray this morning for those that have come this morning who have not surrendered to You. and Father, they are still following their own paths and their own ways, that today would be the day of salvation that they would turn from their way and that they would follow You, Lord, and find salvation, for there is salvation in none other except Jesus. This morning, Lord, we ask that You would have Your way, God, that You would be glorified, and that we would leave this morning knowing we have been in Your presence, that You have ministered, and that You have had Your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, as we study the cross, our study of the cross turned from tragedy to triumph. It has been five weeks now and we have watched the Savior be uh, just totally and completely ravaged. We have, we have watched a man endure pain and suffering that, that, is, that, that is impossible for us to ever really compare to. Uh, we have watched him cry out in his anguish that he thirsts. We have studied the statement, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we have watched and we have studied together the tragedy of the cross. But this morning, the story turns. And we begin to study the triumph of our Savior. He cries out, It is finished. It is a cry of victory. It is a cry, it is a declaration that all has been completed. And this morning we study together the triumph of the cross. Before I get to exactly what was finished, I want to point out something that I find interesting. I don't know if you will or not, but 
The statement, it is finished in your Bible, is actually only one word that the Savior spoke. It was not a sentence, but it was a word. The word is teleo. For those of you that care, there is another word also used that is much longer. I will not be referencing it this morning, but the word is teleo. It is found in a number of places in the Scripture and is a pretty difficult word uh, to interpret. But I want to share with you a few of the other places that we find this word spoken to help us make sense of what the Savior was saying. In Matthew chapter 17, when the uh, teachers of the law came and tried to get Peter caught up uh, in uh, accusing the Lord of something unlawful, they asked him, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? The word pay, in that sentence, pay the tax, the word pay is the same word found here in John chapter 19 and verse 30. In Luke chapter 2, when Jesus' parents brought him uh, to uh, be uh, circumcised and they took him to be dedicated and they did everything that uh, the law had required uh, of a child, of a male child, The Bible says when they had performed everything according to the law. That word performed is the same word here, teleo. It is finished. In John chapter 19 and verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. The word accomplished there, all things accomplished, again, is the same word translated, it is finished. And then how many of you remember Paul praying that something would be removed from him three times, but God's response was, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. The word perfected there is also the same word. It is a word that we have a difficult time translating in English because there is no word that actually means what it means. There is no word that actually encompasses all that the word teleo, here translated, it is finished, is meant to say. In Jesus' day and time, it was a very familiar word. It was used by various people in everyday life. A servant would actually use the word when reporting to his or her master. In John chapter 17, in his priestly prayer, Jesus said, I have completed the work assigned to me as a servant to the Lord. That word completed is the same word he cries out here, Translated, it is finished. When a priest would examine the animal sacrifice and pronounce it worthy of being sacrificed, he would use this word. When an artist would complete a picture that he had painted, he would use this word. When a writer was completed with his manuscript, he would use this word. And perhaps the most meaningful translation or use of this word in Jesus' time was that of the word used by merchants meaning the debt is paid in full. In Jesus' day, the Greeks put a lot of uh, high esteem in being able to say a lot with as few of words as possible. And there is no greater example of that ever happening than when Jesus spoke one word from the cross, teleo, it is finished. It is a declaration of victory, It is the promise to us that everything He came to do was now done. It is finished. 
This morning, I asked the question exactly, what is finished? What was Jesus speaking about when He cried out that one word from the cross? Let us study that together. The first thing I want us to examine is the prophecies concerning His stay here on earth. In Genesis chapter 3, the Bible declared He would be made born of the seed of the woman. We find it fulfilled. Galatians 4.4 tells us Jesus was made of a woman. In Isaiah chapter 7, it was prophesied that His mother should be a virgin. We find its literal fulfillment in Matthew chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 2, we're told He would be the seed of Abraham. And you can mark its fulfillment also in Matthew chapter 1. 2 Samuel chapter 7 tells us that the Messiah would be of the lineal descendancy of David. We find that He actually was in Romans chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 49 tells us that He would be named before He was ever born. This came to pass in Luke chapter 1. Micah chapter 5 tells us that He would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And this was the very village that His mother actually gave birth. Prophecy told us that He would be a man of sorrows and that He should entail sorrowing for others. We find this uh, tragically taking place in Matthew chapter 2 as multitudes of children, male child, were uh, slaughtered as Herod was trying to kill the baby Jesus. We're told in Malachi chapter 3 that there would come one before him to prepare the way for him. This happened in John the Baptist. We were told at the appearing of the Messiah that the eyes of the blind shall be opened, that the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, Then shall the lame man leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb sing in Isaiah chapter 35. And as you read through all four Gospels, you see that Jesus did this in a masterful way. Psalm 107 showed us that He would still the sea. And this is exactly what He did. We're told in Zechariah chapter 9 of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And it came to pass. We're told in Isaiah 53 that His person should be despised. That He would be rejected of the Jews. That He should be hated without a cause. And it's sad to say, as we have studied the last five weeks, this is exactly what had happened. I get overwhelmed when I study the prophecies of the Messiah. Anybody that argues this is not a divine book is either A, a fool, or B, they simply haven't read it. This is the written Word of God. It told us what the Messiah would look like hundreds of centuries before He ever came in extreme and explicit detail. It painted the whole picture of His crucifixion. The betrayal by a familiar friend. The forsaking of His cherished disciples. Being led to the slaughter like a lamb, silent before His shears. Appearing before false witnesses. The refusal on his part to make defense. The establishing of his innocency, yet him being condemned unjustly. The sentence of death was passed upon him. The literal piercing of his hands and his feet. Being numbered with transgressors. The mockery of the crowd. The casting of lots for his garments. All predicted centuries beforehand. And all fulfilled to the very letter. The last prophecy that remained would be when He cried out to the Father, into Thy hands I commit My spirit. 
And as our Lord hung there on the cross and reviewed all the prophetic scope of everything that was said about Him from His birth to His death, He could cry out to Leo, it is finished, completed, totally and completely. There is nothing left undone. God Himself has made every single thing come to pass that He spoke would come to pass. And there is no excuse now for anybody in the world to argue He was not the Messiah for every prophecy, nearly 300 of them, came to pass in His short 33 years here on, on earth. And I want to quickly point out this morning that there was a complete set of prophecies that had to do with the first advent, with Him coming, the incarnation. And all of them came to pass exactly as God has said. And there is a complete set of prophecies concerning His return. And He is going to return just as the Lord has said. He is going to come. And when He comes this time, He's not going to come as a servant, but He's coming as the King of kings, the God of glory, the Lord of lords. And you better be ready for Him because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The prophecy was complete. We also see the completion of His suffering. <clears throat> we have spent now, including this morning's sermon, six entire weeks studying the suffering of our Savior. And I would suggest that there is nothing that we can really study too much when it comes to the cross. It is the cross of Christ where all of time pointed forward to until it came, and now we look back. It is the most important hour. It is the most important event that has ever taken place or ever will take place in the history of the world. And I do not hesitate this morning to go back over the suffering of our Lord on the cross. But not only did He suffer from the cross, the Bible tells us He was a man of sorrows. I believe that in Psalm chapter 88 and verse 15, we hear His lament when He says, I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. From my youth up. It tells us this about our Lord, and I'll show you this here in a moment through Scripture. The cross was ever before Him. Our Lord knew why He had come. And from the time He was a youth, He was able to comprehend and to understand He came to die. Now all of us, we know that we're going to die one day. All of us, we know that inevitably there will come a day when we breathe our last breath but there is a veil over our eyes. We only know it's coming, but we don't know when. We don't know how we're going to die. We don't know what it's going to look like. We have no idea. But from His youth, our Lord understood. And the thought of where He was going was always before Him. Can you imagine the mental anguish of knowing this is how you will die one day? As we read through the Gospels, we can see how awful the cross was before Him at all times. At the marriage feast of Cana in John chapter 2, where everyone else had gladness of heart, He makes the solemn reference to His mother that His hour had not yet come. 
When Nicodemus came to him at night, Jesus spoke of having to be lifted up as a serpent in the wilderness. When James and John came to him and spoke about being seated in the highest positions in heaven, Jesus references the cup that he has to drink and the baptism that he has to be baptized with. When Peter confessed that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, he turned to his disciples and began to teach them how he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. His crucifixion was ever before him. When Moses and Elijah stood with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was to speak of, quote, his decease with which he should accomplish in Jerusalem. The anticipation of the cross, the anticipation of the death that awaited him was ever before him. And I think we could all agree this morning that that in and of itself would bring mental anguish and sorrow. But how much less can we really fathom the reality of the event itself? The physical suffering that he went through was excruciating. The anguish of his soul as he hung there in darkness, forsaken, all alone, taking on the wrath of man, the hatred and anger of Satan, and having the fury of a holy and just God poured out on him at all the time. Truly, he was a man of sorrows. And he did this for our sakes. At the last closing hours, imagine the terrible experience as the Bible tells us, he pled with God in the Garden of Gethsemane. His sweat became his drops of blood. As he appeared before Caiaphas, then Pilate, then before Herod, and then back before Pilate again. As he had been scourged and mocked by the brutal soldiers. His journey to Calvary. The fastening of his hands and his feet to the nail, to the tree. Being reviled by the priest, mocked by the crowd, the two thieves that were crucified with him the indifference of the people. None took pity on Him. None spoke a word of comfort. The thirsting, the hanging there alone. Lamentations chapter 1 and verse 12 says, Behold, and see if there is any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of of his fierce anger. What I just said to you is not a happy thought, but it is a real important thing for us to understand the suffering of our Savior that he went through for us. How often do we selfishly feel like what God's called us to do is so hard to serve him, so hard, so difficult, when he has paid the awful cost? But when our Lord cried out, it is finished, I believe one thing He was also referencing was the pain and the suffering and all of the anguish that He was going to go through during His 33 years here on life. It was totally and completely done. And He was moments from breathing His last breath. It's almost as if the statement He makes is an anticipation of the very next thing that He will say, which is, Father, into My hands I commit 
thy spirit. He knew he was this close to breathing his last breath. And he cries out, it is finished. My suffering is done. Thank God that he's done suffering. And he will never suffer again. He will never be nailed to the tree again. He will never come and be mocked by men again. He will never have the beard plucked from his face again. He will never be lashed across the back again because it was done once and for all. It is completed. It is finished. The debt is paid. And he cried out that word to Leo. It is done forevermore. His suffering was done. And as thankful as I am for that... There is no doubt there is none more thankful than he was that day to be able to cry out that word knowing it is finished. We also see something else that was completed and that would be what I would call the goal of the incarnation. The purpose for which he came. The Bible tells us in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then it tells us a few verses later and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. There was a reason Jesus came. There was an ultimate purpose, and He spoke to that purpose uh, concerning the Father's will in His life. And I have come and done what You have sent Me to do. There was a reason. There was a mission. There was a goal. There was a thought in mind for, the, for Him coming and being clothed in flesh. If you do not know, that's simply what the word incarnation means. It deals with the Son of God taking on the form of flesh and being born of a woman. Even as a boy, John chapter 5, of 12 years old, he was about his father's business. We find him saying, but I have greater witness, excuse me, in John chapter 5, we find him saying that I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father has given me to finish the same works that I do. In John chapter 17, we've already referenced once today, as he was praying that high priestly prayer, he said, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. There was a work that he came for. There was a purpose that he came. And when he cried out on the cross, it is finished. I believe he was also referencing the work that God sent him to do. The reason that he came into this earth, he was able to accomplish it in 33 short years. He was able to preach everything that God wanted him to preach. He was able to heal and touch every person that God brought him to heal and touch. He was able to finish the work that he came to do. The mission that God had sent him into this world for was now accomplished. And this morning I acknowledge that it was actually completely and fully finished when He breathed His last breath. But that breath was only an instant ahead. And in anticipation of that, He cries out, It is finished. The difficult work had been done. There is no work that has ever been accomplished. There is no work that has ever been done more significant, more meaningful, more difficult, more purposeful, and more honorable than what the Son of God did on the cross. The reason that He left heaven's glory was the cross. The reason that He took upon Himself the form of the servant was the cross. He had remained on earth for 33 years to go to the cross. 
And now everything that he had came for was consummated. It was finished. Nothing else needed to be added. Nothing else remained. The goal of the incarnation was reached. It is finished. Completed. Totally. Finally. Once and for all. God had been the one who had ultimately carried it out. Jesus said that no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down. It is true that by wicked hands, He had been crucified and slain. Yet according to Acts chapter 2, He was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It's true that the kings of the earth and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. Nonetheless, it was God's hand and God's counsel that Acts chapter 4 says, determined before to be done. God will accomplish everything He has said He will accomplish. There is none that can ignore Him forever. You might be here this morning and you might be ignoring God and you might know God's will for your life. You might know that He's called you to repent and follow Him. You might know that you're hanging on to some things in your life that, that are contrary to God. And somehow you have foolishly deceived yourself into thinking that you will get around it, that you will not have to pay, that a payday will not come. But friend, listen to me. There is a day that is coming. He is going to return. His Word is sure because He is the Most High. His secret will cannot be thwarted because He is the Supreme God. His counsel will stand because He is God Almighty. His purpose cannot be overthrown. Isaiah chapter 14 says, For the Lord of hosts has purpose, and who shall disannul it? And His hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? God accomplishes what God decides He will accomplish. There is none that can stop Him. All the demons in hell cannot stop God. All the hatred of man in this world cannot stop God. And the amazing thing when we study the cross that God is able to actually take the very works of those wicked men, the very thoughts of Satan, and twist them against them and use them for God's own purpose and God's own glory. His, par- his purpose and his, what He has chosen to take place will stand. He's coming back. Jesus cried out, it is finished. All that God had purposed in the incarnation was now complete. We also see that the atonement was accomplished. The debt is paid. The requirements of God's holiness must be satisfied. We studied this when we looked at Jesus crying out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God's holiness is unchanging, it is unbending, and His wrath had to be satisfied. The awful debt that we incur must be paid. And all of us have incurred a debt. The wages of sin is death and we have been sinners from birth. We are guilty before God and there must be a payment for the debt we have incurred. And at the cross, this debt was paid in full, perfectly, once and for all. Concerning the atonement, it is finished. It is completed. As we look throughout the Old Testament, there were so many types and shadows that pointed forward to the need for atonement. We see the covering from sin and its shame first shadowed to us in the coats of skin. 
which the Lord God clothed Adam and Eve with, had now been provided once and for all through Christ. We see the more excellent sacrifice of Abel's lamb had now been offered again at the cross. We see that the shelter from the storm of divine judgment, shadowed by the ark, was now furnished in Christ. We saw the only begotten and well-beloved Son, typified in Abraham's offering up of Isaac, now had been placed on the altar. We see the protection from the Passover. The death angel, typified by the shed blood of the Passover lamb, was now supplied. We see the cure from the serpent's bites, as the serpent was lifted up on the pole, now made ready for all sinners as they looked to Christ on the cross. We saw the providing of life-giving water when Moses struck the rock had now been affected as the life-giving water of Christ can be offered to each and every one that will look to Him through faith. The atonement was complete. The debt was paid in full. What was paid? The price of our redemption. What was performed? The requirements of the law. What was accomplished? The work that God had sent Christ to do. And what was finished? The making of atonement. What value is that to us? What does that matter to us this morning? That the atonement is complete. That the atonement is full. First of all, it tells us that all that a holy God requires has been done. There is nothing left for the sinner to add. How often do we feel like we need to add something that I might be worthy to come to God? That I'm not going to come to God yet because there's something I need to do that I might be worthy in front of God. That God might take somebody like me. That God might accept somebody like me. The atonement is full for every sin you've ever done, for every wicked thought you've ever had, for every wicked deed you've ever worked. The atonement, the shed blood of Jesus Christ paid it all in full. And there is no longer anything that we need to pay. There is no longer anything that we need to work or to do to find salvation. For Jesus Christ has paid the price in full. The atonement is complete. This morning, if you are lost, you need look no further than the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There are no works you need to perform. There are no deeds you need to do. You simply need to, by faith, look to Christ, turn to Him, follow Him, and see that He alone has provided it all. And for those of us this morning that are believers, the atonement being provided in full is a blessed fact that my sins have been forgiven. Past, present, and future because the blood of Jesus is sufficient to pay for every sin I have ever committed, every sin that I ever will commit. The atonement is complete. The wickedness of man had run rampant. The Bible tells us that the thoughts and intents of the heart were continually wicked. To think of every sin that every human has ever committed. There was quite an atonement that was needed. When Jesus cried out to Leo, the debt is paid in full. There's nothing left to be paid. 
There's nothing left to be done. There's nothing left to be accomplished. The atonement is complete. We also see the end of condemnation for the believer. The sins of the believer, all of them, were transferred to the Savior. Isaiah 53 says, The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. If God has laid my iniquities on Christ, they are no longer on me. They're on Him. And while it does pain my heart to think that all of my sin had to be laid on Him, I thank God that He was willing to take the penalty for me. Many who have come to know Him in the saving grace of faith and, and, and who have come to the Lord and turned their life to Him, they can testify that, that as you kneel down and you pray and you see Him as Lord, you see Him as Savior, you see Him as sufficient to take away all your sins, you know that if you cry out, you'll find forgiveness and mercy and grace. And in an instant as you do that, in an instant as faith ignites and you believe in Him and you place your faith in Him. All of your sins are laid on Him. And it's as if at times the weight of the world is just lifted off your shoulders. I'll never forget getting saved. It's an experience I cannot forget. I remember kneeling down, not knowing, not knowing I was weighted down as much as I thought I was. Not knowing how heavy my life really was. Not knowing how much the weight of the world was on my shoulders. Not knowing exactly how much the weight of my iniquities were on my shoulders. And when God took those off of me and placed them on Christ at the cross, by faith they were removed from me, placed on Him. All of a sudden it was like I was a hundred pounds lighter. It felt like I was walking on water. The sky was bluer. The birds' songs were much more beautiful. The air was better to breathe. You can't even hardly put it into words. It's something that, that all you can do is explain to the best of your ability, but it's more to be experienced than it is to be explained. He took the sins of the believer, all of them. He laid all of our iniquities on Him. Thank God, if they are on Christ, they're no longer on me. Can I tell you this morning, I thank God for the grace of God. And there should be no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Chuck Swindoll once said that if people in your church are not abusing grace, you're probably not preaching grace. And I believe that. People will always take and run with what I'm about to tell you. There are some of you probably this very, this very morning that when I share what I'm about to share, you're going to use it as an excuse for why you're still in your sins. Shame on you. You'll answer to God for that, not for me. But for those of you that are believers here this morning, you need to know this blessed fact. All of your sins are on Him. This is not a license to go out and sin. When I really realize that every wicked thing that I do and every sin I'll ever commit is placed on His shoulders, there should be an overwhelming gratitude in my life 
where I am thankful that it is finished. It is completed. There's nothing I have to add to it. There's nothing I have to do to earn His love. There's no way I have to walk in order to, to earn forgiveness. It is finished. The blood is sufficient. He cried out to Leo. It is done. And therefore, I need not live in condemnation because of my shortcomings, my failures, and yes, even my sins. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. And I'm not going to go into that this morning. But there should be no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Not because of anything I've done, but because the Lord has taken all of my sins and placed them on Him. I mean, tomorrow if I fall flat on my face and I sin against God, you know where that sin is? It's on the cross. Thank God for the finished work. It's done. It's completed. And I'll just say it one last time. When you really get a hold of that, when you really see what He's done for you, the last thing in the world you'll do is run out into sin a hundred miles an hour all under the banner of, well, God's going to throw it on Jesus. You'll be moved with compassion. You'll be moved with an overwhelming gratitude that He did for me what I could not do for myself. Have we ever paused to honestly and earnestly consider our end? Before we knew Him? Have you ever tried to ponder eternity in never-ending death? Have you ever honestly thought about the payment for your sins? Separation from God for all of eternity. Darkness and anguish and pain and suffering. And one of the worst things of it all is living the rest of eternity knowing you said no to the answer that could get you out of that place. Have we ever really stopped to think about where our sins were going to lead us? When you see it, and then you see that He said, I'll step in and I'll pay your price. And I'll shed the blood and I'll pay the death. Because I love you. Because I love you too much to leave you without hope. Because I love you more than you've ever known love. Because I long to have a relationship with you. I don't want you to go to that awful place. I don't want you to live a breath of life on earth. Friend, if you live 90 to 100 long years, it is but a breath in the scale of eternity. And living that short breath in selfishness and trying to please me and turning away from the Lord to, to, to try to please myself during that short breath is nothing but foolishness. He loved us. And the atonement was complete. We have nothing left to add. Only to believe on Him. It is an amazing thing. And it is a blessed truth as a child of God to know it's complete. Not only did He provide that while I was a sinner I might be saved. But He provided for my sins that even after I come to know Him they might be forgiven and placed on Him. Christ bore our sins in His own body on the tree. The guilt, the condemnation, the penalty of our sins was transferred to Him. We see this uh, shadow in the Old Testament when they would bring two goats on the Day of Atonement. It was the national day. It took place once a year. And, 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 and Israel would come together and the high priest would atone 
for the sins of the people committed during that previous year. And he would bring two perfect goats without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. And one of them would be slaughtered and the blood would be taken into the Holy of Holies, into the most holy place behind the veil and sprinkled on the mercy seat to satisfy God because the wages of sin has always been death. But then he would come out and he would take the blood and he would place it on the second goat and he would send it off into the wilderness to die into the wilderness. And we see shadowed to us Jesus taking the sins of the believer upon Himself and carrying them far, far away. The Bible says as far away as the east is from the west into a wilderness, into a land I know not of, into a place where I will never see them again. There's a song that says, How far as the east is from the west. You realize on a globe... If you begin to go east, you will never start going west. And if you start going west, you will never start going east. If you go north, you'll eventually head south and the other way around. If you go any other direction, northeast, southeast, any other direction, you will eventually change directions. But how far is the east from the west? It is infinite. That's how far our sins have been cast. The atonement is complete this morning. Praise the Lord. We also see the fulfillment of the law's requirements. I will not spend a lot of time here this morning. Romans chapter 7, though, does tell us the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. The problem was not with God's law. The problem was not with the law that exposed to us our unrighteousness. The problem was with man being depraved and sinful. Yet God is holy and just and the law must be kept and kept by a man so that the law might be honored and magnified and its giver vindicated. This is why we read in Romans chapter 8, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in, not by, us, who walk not after us, but after the Spirit. We were weak. We could not keep the law. But Jesus did keep it. He kept it perfect. He lived it perfectly. And He paid the perfect penalty. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. He has redeemed us. And the law has been fulfilled. And finally today, what is finished? we see the destruction of Satan's power finished at the cross. Now I want you to see it by faith with me this morning. Because first of all, to all human appearances, it looked as if that hour when he breathed his last breath was the greatest triumph of evil the greatest plot of Satan ever to take place. And yet, it was actually the greatest hour of triumph for God that we have ever known or that ever will be. 
Jesus, speaking of what would take place at the cross, declared in John chapter 12, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. It is true that Satan has not yet been chained and cast into the bottomless pit. He will be, for God has declared it. And while he has not been chained, while he has not yet been cast into the bottomless pits, sentence has been passed on him at the cross. His doom is certain. His power is already broken so far as the believer is concerned. He was defeated by Christ at the cross. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. And in Colossians chapter 1, that believers have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated in the kingdom of God's dear Son. Satan then should be treated as a defeated enemy. I've said this a couple of times recently. We're not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory as children of God. What took place on the cross was final. It is sufficient to secure us in this day and in this age. And it is enough for me by faith to see that my enemy has no power over me because of the glory of the cross. Amen. Delivered from the power of darkness. See, this can be confusing because we still live in darkness. We still live in the world. We have not been delivered from darkness. We've been delivered from the power of darkness. And there will come a day when we are delivered from darkness totally. We'll see no more darkness. We'll see no more evil. There will be no more sin. There will be no more influence to sin. It will be final and complete. But thank God, at the power of the cross, He cried out, It is finished. And by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, faith in the finished work of the atonement, faith in the finished work of the prophecies, faith in the finished work of the incarnation, the purpose for which He comes, I can see that my Lord has defeated my enemy for me. And I will stand on that as truth. This morning I asked the question, what side are you on? Are you a believer here this morning? Earlier on, I mentioned that... And I'll go ahead and ask our worship team to come at this time. Earlier on, I mentioned that um, there was a complete set of prophecies concerning His first coming, the Incarnation, and they were filled to the letter. And there was a complete set of prophecies concerning His return. We could literally spend months discussing those. But I will say this briefly this morning. I don't think it's a long time off. And much of what we were told would happen before His second coming has either already happened, is happening, or is in the process of taking place. And here's why I bring this up. There's nothing more important. Nothing. Nothing. More important than being saved. Nothing. There is an eternity ahead of you. And if today was your day, if tonight you fell asleep 
and you never did wake up, where would you go? And what are you waiting on? You feel like there's something you need to do with yourself so that you're presentable to God? He said it's finished. He's paved the way. He's paid the price. He's made the plan. It's all done. All you have to do is by faith turn to Him this morning. What is it that keeps you back if you're waiting on Him this morning? Because He is coming back. And the price is paid. Can I tell you, I love our church. We've got a good church here. This church can't save you. I like preaching. My preaching in and of itself cannot save you. I like singing. I like worshiping. But worshiping God and being around people that are happy to love God in and of itself cannot save you. Only the cross of Christ. Only the Savior. This morning I've done my best just to lift Him up. Try to explain to you Him and try to show you what He finished. He's the answer to everything. He's the answer. This morning, again, has almost been the theme for the last handful of weeks. Child of God, maybe you just simply need to thank Him. Thank Him for finishing. Thank thank Him. And get get our thinking straight. And get, get our mind on straight. And remember, this is about the finished work of the cross. Faith in Him. Walking by faith. Knowing that He's done the work. He has completed the way. Being confident that He that began a good work in me, He will finish it until the day of His return. And I just need to worship Him this morning and thank God for doing and going above and beyond anything I ever could have asked or imagined. But maybe you're here this morning and you're lost. 